welcome to the new episode of the Mindful Initiative podcast. Today we are very privileged to have amongst us Mr. Arul Dev, who is the founder and CEO of People First. He graduated back in '94 with his chemical engineering degree from Bitspilani, and he switched over into a new domain. and He has come up with a new book, uh, which was published last year, and we'll talk about all that. If you take, for example, emotions, emotion is a substance. It feels like a tiny uh, melting of your heart inside. And then it feels like a widening of your heart. So there is a substance that works inside. When you connect with that, it becomes a joy because no matter what up and down emotions you have, you can get into that real substance of the emotion. Welcome to the show, Arun. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity. Look forward, yeah. I think it's an interesting journey. I have gone through most of the book. I have read it, and we'll talk about your book in a while. But about your journey, you were a chemical engineer, and you decided to go in a different space. So can you give us a little bit about your background, your history, uh, what prompted you to go to uh, BITS, and how come you've landed to the place where you are? Okay, so... Till my 12th, you could practically call me a bookworm, really exploring into books, books, books. That was my world. And uh, I figured out that uh, anything I read, I could get interested and I could go deeper into that. College was more getting away from home, from a comfortable space into something very new. So I just went to bits. And uh, in the second year, I realized that I actually didn't like my subject, which was chemical engineering. So I did study well because of the fact that I've been there. But it was not a joy. And towards the third or fourth year, we were doing a project in Chennai and I happened to go into a couple of firms which were doing training. I liked some of the work. I was volunteering. Suddenly, one day, the trainer didn't come for a program. They were looking for somebody who could just talk to the audience. I put up my hand and I figured out that training was coming very natural. I was good at it and I was enjoying it. So even before I finished my last semester, I practically decided that I'm going to switch over to training. So that's exactly what happened and took about six months to be really sure on the decision, jumped and started the firm in 95, six months later. So that was the transition. I feel I was being guided right from that time. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into the details of it, but several things that was happening was kind of moving me in this direction. I think that's very interesting because back in the 90s, it wasn't that easy to leave the kind of work or the studying that you were doing and jump completely into a different field. And now it's becoming a norm. But at that point, what was the guiding force? What is that inside thing that you were talking about that led you to make that decision? Okay, so first thing to put another context into the background, I think I absorbed a lot of you could call it something inner from my grandfather. I did not necessarily have anything like a inner guidance or intuitive in the beginning. I was just a normal, good student. But I always used to figure out that something, I was a different human being around my grandfather. And at a younger age, I mean, when I say young, 8th standard, ninth standard, I practically used to go behind him everywhere. So later on, when even the application of college was coming in, I started noticing that at points of key decisions, I used to go inner and I used to pray. And uh, I used to wait upon a time till all that confusion, this, that or the other, settles it and suddenly there will be a clarity and an alignment of will. This inner language was familiar to me from 1990 onwards. And 
one way or the other, I always used to wait for it. And only with its sync, I used to move forward. So the same thing happened with this training. The moment I did that, I finished and like just about 15, 20 minutes, brief thing. Inside, I felt very different. Inside, I felt very fulfilled. So that language from 1994 onwards is always been my guiding path. I just follow it. That's amazing. So you were connected to yourself right from the very beginning, it seems. And uh, your grandfather may be an influence or he may have been someone you looked up to. Was there anyone else in the family or outside that made you feel that, you know, I should be listening to myself, my voice? Yeah, I think two factors here. And in fact, very interestingly speaking, around that time, there was a book called Celestine Prophecy. It was very popular around that time. And there was an exercise there where they say, look on your mother, look on your father, take whatever is the highest and deepest both are holding and try and see where it converges together. That's the exercise I did when I was doing my project, which got me the clarity. So I picked up the essence of spirituality from my mother, very deep rooted in faith. And I pricked the aspect of excelling in anything from my father. And I kind of thought that my whole life was an alchemy of the two. So I think that also that moment of clarity that the highest of my father and mother is from my mother, it is spirituality and my father, it is the material excellence. And that marriage of it constantly was another moment where the light of what my life should be became very clear. That explains a lot of how and, and what helped you move in that direction. The sad story in India, I feel, is once you have picked a direction, you unfortunately have to go into it. After 10th, whether you pick science or, or commerce or arts, you are almost stuck with it. It's like a hierarchy thing, right? You know, the best is science. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with it, but that's the hierarchy. And now you say in second year, you had consciously at least thought about that chemical engineering is something that you don't want to pursue or you don't want to pursue your life in that direction. And you spent another three years at the college after that. Do you remember those three years? Yeah. What went through your mind uh, during those three years that you had to study or was it waste? In certain ways, it may have been waste of time as well. But what are your thoughts about those three years that when you know that this is something I don't want to do, and nowadays you do coaching and hmm. some sort of counseling as well, probably. So how do you relate the two? This is a very good question because I always have an insight that if you're in a successful space, it's easier to connect to your inner and be guided. It's, it's a hypothesis or an insight that I'm carrying. For example, in the first year, I didn't have to study much. Okay. And uh, I just sailed through because I already prepared for IIT and I could sail through. Second year, since the reality stuck me hard that I did not like it, I slipped in my grades from practically, it's a 10 point thing, you know, from a 7.5 or close to 8 to 4.55. It was that bad. Lost complete interest. In the third year, it was more like, you know, I know the difficulty my parents were going through to put the money in there. So I, I said, no matter what, I'm going to, you know, study really well. And I literally slogged it out in the third year. Interest, no interest, good grade. So I again came back above seven. That's when I feel a shift, you know, so which means inside there is this disturbance where this is not the right thing. So first I hit 
frustration but then i say well that's not okay no matter what you succeed but i did not lose that thing that something is wrong something is wrong so i let that flame be there somehow i feel that that is what would have made me apply to this particular you know and interestingly you know i was doing a project in a company in chennai it's a four and a half months project in the first few days we realized the company was shutting down so we had no work so they used to send us away in the lunch time so i used to go home and read 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 and reflect that formed all this in a way all right so you got time for yourself and you thought that of course that we should listen to our parents and and they have lot of trust in you so you should stick around and finish this and do it in a good way and that happens a lot not just in india but i think world over it's a phenomena that when we are growing up our parents or our loved ones want us to be something what the society thinks is important at that point of time so let's say for an example in india at this point of time being a doctor or not so much for engineering that much but maybe being a doctor is considered one of the most important things and you can look at the grades you can look at the entrance examination number of people who sit through it and once you get into it and sometimes you do get the realization that this is something once you get to that successful state as you were talking about that hypothesis that when you are there you feel that all right i have achieved it but is this something that i really wanted right but before even we get there is there something that you can tell our listeners that this is something that i want should i really pursue it not get influenced by whether this is going to get me a better salary or this is going to get me more materialistic things or help more inside and probably get into a space of happiness i guess yeah i, I think i get a question in a different light and a, perhaps a more clearer light right now it's good to uh, look at this what i term it as a choiceless state okay now yes even at that time many people including my own friends and relatives were saying that you wasted a, a premium college degree you know and uh, to be honest with you i was not necessarily socializing much at that time i was at home because i knew wherever i go this bombardment you're really not working what are you doing because i took a six months time to get settled on this but what i have experienced then and several times later is you do come to a point where you have no choice interestingly people feel that a lot of choice is good it is true in the beginning there's a lot of choice you explore this you explore that but i've also felt that there comes a time when it's a perfect sync and there's no other choice if any other thing you do you're off sync it's not fulfilling you know uh, something you're doing just for the society or the outer but it is not necessarily what you can contribute there that narrowing of the choice to a point where well this is exactly what i need to do now do i have the choice of jumping in or not is a very interesting poise this has happened at several other instances in my life coming to that point and jumping in is a joy it's a risk that's a different point from the external perspective but from the inner perspective it's a tremendous joy i think risk is a fear so yesterday night i was driving back home and there was a snake in our right on the road across our house and as i was driving by i just stopped by watched the snake go by and i was trying to take a picture i that's what people do take pictures of snake at night so i was taking that picture and as the snake passed through and and i was driving again uh, parking the vehicle and i was thinking why am i fearful of this snake after much thought 
I understood that from childhood I have seen in films I have read at places that snakes bite hmm. right and I should be fearful where I see them but in reality most snakes are not dangerous at all they would just do their thing unless and until you provoke them and most of them are not poisonous either right so i think the same risk comes into a mind when i believe the risk that you're talking about is that people inculcate in our lives that there is a risk if you don't do this how are you going to survive i think most of us survive right and most of the, us get by and i think you found out what really gave you happiness in terms of going out and maybe do training to start with and venture out in other things right and the other thing that after that because you had a degree in a completely different field and you were doing something different what all did you do to prepare yourself better to teach people what these trainings were about what what are some of the steps that you took it's a difficult question uh, because what i actually did most of the time was jump into the well but as i said jumping into the well should have that choiceless poise and most of the time i jump in and then as i'm jumping in i'm figuring out this is what is needed this is what let's say this training uh, so i had one principle any training i do i should be authentic which means i should be at least practicing it and have some degree of you know uh, something that's working there and then i go and share so that principle i always held rest of the time jump figure out what competency is needed what am i supposed to do and i built everything let's say as i was driving my car i was not a guy who built my car by parking it in many different places i've always been on the go most of the time i also had a lot of time for reflection most of my reflection was through like a i just sit down write something and in those periods where i write or read at the end of the day or during the weekend weekends mostly i'll step off i was a bachelor you know i got married only at 34 so i'll step out 8 o'clock on sunday and i used to come back at 8 p.m in the night i had 12 hours to myself i'll sit in the beach watch a movie whatever all those times things that's happening used to settle in you know it'll tell me arul this is not okay for you you got to work on this this you got to teach better train better do this work better so i always used to follow the clarity that used to come from inside so i would say 60% inner clarity 40% what's coming from outside as a feedback etc and i think you're in a great place in chennai where you have the beaches and you can go look at the ocean <laughs> i think so yeah <laughs> yeah I think it's a great place. Uh, the others may or may not and you live here yeah. so so it's fine. I think that clarity is very important. And how have you evolved as an individual since you graduated and since you started looking more inwards and you mentioned that writing is one process that uh, you look for self-reflection. Yeah. What changes have you seen in yourself over the years? Okay, that's a difficult question to answer because if you ask my wife to be honest I never thought I could remain married. not because of any other reason because i used to change quite frequently and uh, it's not something that i decide as such but the moment i go into something i figure it out something used to happen in me and once i change i will stick by it so it's very difficult to put like this is a change so to put some uh, kind of a generalization it was always more an inward movement it was always more a wider movement which means whatever you, you are getting you want to you know reach out a certain wide space and a wide heart you're connecting more to people you're contributing more the space of contribution began pretty much earlier and i was always in that space i wanted to give out more so such inner changes were always happening most of the time it'll be like what you mentioned now fear as an example as i grew up each part of my being had its own challenges in the beginning i i had to go through years where i discovered my health was not perfect i had to work on that 
Then I figured out that I had a lot of uh, challenges as a youngster in the domain of senses, etc. I had to work on that. Then I figured out that I was not too emotionally sensitive. Then I learned that I swung the opposite side of the pendulum. I had to work on that. And I always looked upon my life as work and, uh, you know, my personal life as one continuum. So I used to, whatever I'm working on, I used to bring that into work, into my personal life. And such was the change. The other principle I had was whatever change is happening inside me or whatever I'm working on is what I go share and teach. So that way, if you see my teaching kept changing, first it was skill based. Then it was, you know, I was for a long time into NLP, real inner processes, you know, to make changes. Can you tell a little bit what NLP stands for? Okay, so that's a method called neuro-linguistic programming. And uh, there are many different schools about it. But I learned from a person called Dick McHugh, who is no more. His method of NLP is more mindfulness. His two favorite things was Vipassana and NLP. So I, And he was a Jesuit priest. So I picked all that up and we used those methods or techniques to go inward and make changes. And I was in that for a while. But then realized it was not giving satisfaction. And that's when I hit upon works of Sri Aurobindo, which I felt was far more deeper, far more inclusive. Nothing is left out. And you got to bring every bit of your transformation into the real life. And that's what I loved. So as I progressed, I changed. As I changed, I thought differently. And this became a continuum. So to put it or to summarize it, it is... And for me, going deep within is just realizing what your consciousness or what you really want from inside and your thought process changes. So you're right. trying to connect your thought or your inner being to your thoughts and then putting it out there in action, which is karma yoga, right? And that's the course you teach at IIT as that's well. Right. I forgot the topic of the course it is called. So uh, there are two courses I teach along with another professor called Devdas Menon in IIT Madras. One course is called Self-Awareness which uh, this book is a, is a textbook kind for that. It works on the eight parts of your being. Yeah, and I think uh, it's the right time to at least tell the name name of the book. Uh, it, the book is called Into Great Depth of Your Being. Uh, please go ahead. Yes. Okay, so uh, what this book actually does is a deeper understanding in the domain of one's being, which influences what you're doing, your competencies, your behaviors. But there is an inner aspect, the mind, the emotion, the energy, the body and the deeper self. So the self-awareness is about that. We also teach another course called Integral Karma Yoga. He brings the Bhagavad Gita. I bring some portions of Renaissance in India, getting in touch with your deeper self, identifying with your purpose and expressing it into your real life, culture change to some extent. Those are the aspects I touch on. And when you teach these courses, you know, it's yourself being there 20 plus years ago at bits right you and you might come across some of the students who are going through the same turmoil that you probably went through do you come across those kind of students still iit when you teach see one of the things is, is let's take iit out of the picture we just look uh, just at students yes. okay there's an observation that i've been having is that the kind of challenges that they are going through is something that we never went through at all at our age it's very different at the same time, they have a far greater capacity than we access at that age. So it's a combination of that. Most of them are lost. And that's a pretty standard phenomenon that you can observe. But the lost is not because they don't have the potential. It's because some of the potentials are extremely high. And, you know, also at the same time, the distractions are equally high. The opportunities for going off track is also high. So it creates a very interesting challenge. 
And uh, what I'm also seeing is younger students, say about 7th standard, 8th standard, 9th standard, they pick this work much faster because they have no map that says that self-awareness is difficult. But the moment, let's say I go to, let's say college students, the map is already there. And for them, for some of them, it's dry. I mean, it's not so great fun. For some of them, yeah, it's good to make some inner changes. When I take this work to adults, it's a little bit more challenging because they do feel that understanding something is great. They feel making changes is really very difficult. But if you don't accomplish inner changes, then there's no real change or growth. So the coming back to your uh, point, it's a very interesting phenomena we are in with students. Great potential, great challenges. I think within that question, you bring up a very interesting point about change. And I feel change is ever happening. And as we all know, it's ever happening. And when adults, which you're absolutely right, adults do say mostly that it is very difficult to change because we're going through so many things in our lives. And if one thing changes, something else has to come about. Right. So what are some of the things that and, and most of our listeners are adults as well? What are some of the suggestions that you may have where they can at least begin the journey to to change themselves to be more connected to themselves? Yeah, okay. So I'll answer it slightly different. So one of the things about me is I'm fundamentally an engineer, at least in my thinking process. So if you give me something, I like to go into the subatomic parts, what's inner kind of a thing. One of the things for any human being to make a change is you've got to understand that when we say eight parts of being, these are actually different substances that exist within. For example, we say one part is your physical. So that's your body. But it's not only your body, it has a nature of repetitiveness. It's its inherent nature. Now, if you don't understand that nature of repetitiveness, uh, people who are very intelligent will struggle making change with small habit changes and they'll hit themselves on the head, not understanding that they are dealing with a different substance inside them, which nature is just repeat, repeat and circulate. That's the habit formation. Now, if you take your sensory enjoyment, the domain of senses, it has a substance of vibration. It vibrates, it moves, you know, there's a currents of movements, seeking after pleasures and avoiding pain. So it's a different thing that happens inside us. If you take, for example, the dynamic energy, which is the third part, its substance is different. It's circulatory energy. You know, it's like your breath. You breathe in, you hold and you breathe out. You take money, it's the same thing. You earn money, you hold money, you express money. So that very simple, subtle understanding that that energy flows only in movement and there has to be sufficient movements and large movements for you to have that impact is such a very simple thing. But till you don't know that, you will just say things like, you know, I should take risk, I should have courage, I should face the whole world, go up. But you'll find only some people having that true capacity. Leadership capacity needs that today. But if you just do it theoretically, you don't really build that substance or do its right movements. If you take, for example, emotions, emotion is a substance. It feels like a tiny uh, melting of your heart inside. And then it feels like a widening of your heart. So there is a substance that works inside. When you connect with that, it becomes a joy because no matter what up and down emotions you have, you can get into that real substance of the emotion, for example. Okay, so I've touched four. Then if you look into the mind, you again deal with different substances. Thought is real. Like, like a solid is real, thought is real. Now your thoughts actually in her, uh, come in the way of your real seeing. Because whatever is inside circulating as thoughts, it cuts your real seeing. That's what you're hearing inside. 
your word is another reality lots of things are embedded inside your word now people have not understood there's a domain called image processing like you have word processing you have image processing that's the domain of idea force then you have a capacity called the pure mind which is mere centering of thoughts it's like the helicopter view you can center the core thought inside that the moment you get this simple clarity and then you have the deeper self which has a language of resonance then when you are able to observe this insight change becomes easy because you know that for a particular moment you want to go along say you make a decision in your business work or family or whatever you will figure out that sometimes your mind goes along your energy pulls back sometimes your energy moves but the mind clarity is not there it's it's woolly cloudy and you do not know how to figure that out sometimes both are in sync but you have not repeated it sufficiently for it to become an implanted you know habit so it's as simple as understanding these nuances and then making good choices for yourself now these eight different uh, parts, of, parts being. parts of being right eight different parts of being so when i read the book the way i understood is you know we can take any one part and at least get started and and start applying these transformations in our life and one of the things that i understood or at least really liked was the rungs of transformation right and i'll, I'll read something from the book I won't read the entire paragraph but just the last few sentences once the transformation is realized in our particular rung we can then raise ourselves up onto the higher rung to which we will be more anchored and make it our new base station right so that's the change that we are talking about right but as these changes are occurring right some new thoughts are evolving right how do you find that ground for ourselves that this is something that I'm okay with rather than going and exploring like you know I need to go explore more Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good question and there are a couple of questions inside that one question. So let me try and uh, focus and you tell me if I've answered that fully. So let me take one by one. So for example, the first question is you don't necessarily have to go at all the eight. It's very difficult unless you are adept at it. In general, what we say is go with your strengths. So for example, among the three parts of your mind, which is objective, creative or synthetic or pure see which is your base station and go with that but pull the other along generally we have been doing a lot of work with these people for the last 8 years and if you go down you find that some are emotional some are really dynamic or some really like that fun there will be always a leader among the three play to your home station if you play differently you will become a little different and that doesn't feel good inside but you got to pull the other two yeah and is there a particular way that you find out which amongst all is something that i really like or gravitate towards two ways uh, the most simplest is if you take page 22 of the book it has a summary of all the different parts of being when we do this workshop we just say open page 22 we'll ask each individual to self rate for example 1 to 10 what's their inherent strength where do they find the joy and very easily you can narrow down and say this is my leader that that's the most simplest way we of course have a tool as well but i would still recommend self reflection still so that's the first answer okay that the second answer about moving from stage to stage is a little tricky answer because if one is just moving from here and there because they, like i've seen people who are workshop hunters you know for 40 50 years and actually do not make a progress so for this i do feel that if you are taking those decisions from the analytical mind it will be very confusing or if you are making those decisions which are governed by emotions it will be very confusing 
two ways which will really help is first to with a deeper self so which means that's a language of resonance uh which means that when i am to choose a particular path if it feels spontaneously clarifying and spontaneously uh, joyful then it's right track and that sensing is just to be done in the couple of seconds because following that doubt will come confusions will come fear come then it gets distorted so that's one clear way you can check this direction does it feel right or not okay that's one the other way is to use pure mind which is like you can say essentially what am i standing for like for me i clarified and said i want to live a life which is spiritually and materialistically evolving so i'll put everything around that so these two ways you can hold your direction with some continuity not flirting from here and there that's a very easy way but also a very difficult way for a lot of people so so both have to be taken into account for the first time when i came across the book i started reading it and the eight parts of being what came to my mind i'm not sure if you're aware of the yoga panchakoshas the five to some extent uh, yes to some yeah. extent right and i saw some similarities between the panchakoshas and and the eight parts of being can you throw a little bit light onto your understanding of it and the similarities or some differences uh, okay. amongst them so one of my attempt was uh, to take it to a point where it is universal applicable by anybody any age any nation you will also have this corresponding to chakras you will it will correspond it will correspond to not only panchakoshas but to anything that you bring under the sun so the the attempt and by the way this is not the only eight there are more wanted to arrive at the essence of what these are now so for example if you take the vital you know you have a energy sheet around you you have a physical sheet you have a mental sheet around you the at understanding to go a little deeper we need to understand that say for example senses or fear for we'll use that term fear okay now fear is not only individual but it is also collective and universal if you take emotions i am in a particular emotion but if i move into a room where the people have a certain emotion there is emotional contagion so there is individual there is collective and there is universal always intermixing and that's what forms your energy field your mind field so to say now the challenge with any of this work if you go a little bit deeper it cannot be done only with the individual and completely disregard the family or the work it will not it's not possible because you could have clarified something at your senses you could have refined it but you may enter a space at a family or a work let us say where it is very crude so to say that will intrude back into the purity that you've had and it will spoil it a little bit but the in a way i feel that's how nature or evolution has set it up where finally to look at it your evolution is not about yourself it's about a certain rung of consciousness that we are able to hit as humans so each time a individual progresses they'll be pulled down and that's the beauty of the whole thing because they'll process the other people's challenges through them i think you're absolutely right nature puts it in such a way it's a puzzle and it's a puzzle for each generation i think and we solve it in our own ways i believe this book at least for me makes it easier for our generation to relate to because most of the other things the the panchakoshas or the chakras that have been written thousands of years ago and we still are able to relate to them and these are all energy lines that we are talking about and trying to understand ourselves and this is more relatable that's what i particularly feel when i was reading it i'm not saying it's easy or difficult it's something that we are able to relate to and i think that's what the intended purpose has been 
we have only a few minutes before we get to the closing of the thing. The other question that I wanted to ask, and I think a lot of struggle that happens uh, for a, a few people is differentiating between their personal lives and their professional lives. And while growing up, I had always been told, you know, try to create a balance between personal life and professional life. And over the years, I have realized, you know, the two are so interwoven that it is not possible for us to do that. Now, you as someone who has uh, been part of uh, teaching this in corporates and, and other places and, and to students as well, what are your thoughts about doing the work that you want to do and separating it out or keeping it one I would love to hear your thoughts and views on okay, that. Okay, so this is where the, you know, the challenge begins. In the first place, I personally feel that any human who is going to create that dichotomy is setting himself or herself up for success, but not fulfillment. And what will happen is still about their 45, 50, it will be fine. But later on, it will hit them back nicely. So it's their choice. Okay, so I'm speaking about for those individuals who do not want to make that compromise. Now, having said that, you will find that the moment you enter into a workplace, as a student life, you still have a great degree of freedom. Even though your peer pressure may be very high, you still have that freedom. But when somebody is working, you are bound by that organization's ethics. We just take an example of ethics and norms, for example. You are bound by what they are doing. Now, at a certain time, and I'm sure that every individual goes through this, Inside, they would want to do or hold a certain ethics. But when it comes to the collective work, for example, it's not only not accepted, it's looked down upon. It's, it's very common. Now comes the challenge. Now, most of the people give that attempt up. So what they do is they create a success story in the organization, but inside they don't feel good. And then they learn to suppress it and they become masters at it. Few people take that risk. Which, and I'm not only saying in the earlier path, what people used to do is they used to quit the organization and some of these people went on their own. One classic case was me, I didn't even work at all, okay, because I saw what was going on there. But today I also see people who are staying at that work and taking that challenge. It's a very uphill task, you know, because you still have to hold your ground and still succeed at the workplace. But there are a lot more success stories today on the same. There are a lot more opportunities because some organizations are also opening up saying that we need to honor it. But nevertheless, it will be an uphill. It's not only work. Most of the challenge comes in the personal life. It's with sisters, brothers, wife, husband, close you know, family members, including you know, father-in-laws, mother-in-law and parents. Because as you evolve, you'll also find that you know, things change there. So like, I'll just take a very personal example. So for me, I decided that uh, I wanted to find my own life partner. I'm a born Christian, for example. And my mother always had one important thing from me saying, marry a Christian. And something told me that I'll be marrying a Brahmin. Now, I took six years with my mother. Now, I could have taken an easy option of saying, now, I don't care to hoods, you know, I'll go. But internally, I was not okay with the choice. So I worked till a point, And of course, I had some things didn't click. So it gave me the time. But when it came to finally marrying, it was like my mother gave full concurrence. It's up to the individual to take that time, you know, to work with family or work in a way that the inner compromise doesn't happen is very important in this journey, but very tough. 
Absolutely right. From what I understand what you're saying, it, it wasn't a question, so I don't know why I said absolutely right. But, you know, something <laughs> that I connected with is, you know, finding that solution for the puzzle. It may take you a longer period of time through the karma yoga by doing it again and again and again and finding what works, not just for you, and also finding a what we call as a new normal so that, you know, the others settle down. When you settle down from inside, the others around you will settle down. So before we close up, any parting thoughts, anything that you would like to uh, share with our audiences uh, or listeners? I think my parting thought, you said in your last sentence, and I'll just pick that up. As I finished my first book, I'm working on my second, and the clarity is coming more and more solid right now in a very real sense that it's not so much about what's happening on the outside, but it's really about what's happening on your inside. Okay, really about how much of peace you can hold, how much of clarity you can hold, how much of strength you can hold, going down to the fundamental nuances. It's really about being attuned. And, and I'm also discovering that there's a portion of the mind which expands if we learn to tune in. And then you are more wide, you are more listening. But the, your inner space of the mind also seems to widen. Your inner space of the heart also seems to widen. It almost feels for me the rest of my journey is to figure out how this, how listening to all that's happening inside hold its delights or hold its honey or you know the best of it and actually bring it into the normal life seems to be something to be discovered and with this I feel this is far more important and when you can do it the rest of the stuff will be a child's play to bring it out there yeah that's what I feel that's a great way to close it thank you so much for being part of our show I learned a lot speaking to you today. I got much more clarity on the book which I've been reading for a few months and, and I hope to continue reading it and, and uh, keep evolving myself. We hope that someday in the future we can come back and, and talk about your second book as well. Arul's book is called Into Great Depth of Your Being. It's available on Amazon. Please go out and, and purchase it if you would like to know about the eight different parts of the being. This is Nitesh signing off from another episode of the Mindful Initiative. Thank you so much. Thank you.